Um, this morning, uh, as we have made our way through Romans, we have made it to um, what is a really significant passage in Romans chapter 3. Somewhat controversial. It's a big deal. It's very relevant. It is about God and government and how we relate to God and government. So I want to set this up because um, the passage we're looking at has some very important information it gives, but it really has to be seen in a broader context and really a, a broader understanding of what is going on in our world. And so I want to uh, try to get you engaged in that with a couple of different things to begin with. First of all, strange women lying in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. Well, what is the basis of a system of government? Um, and what we're going to see in this passage today is whatever the style of government out there, God is actually behind it and has always been behind it. There are many, many forms of government out there. Uh, a monarchy is where you're ruled by a family dynasty. A theocracy uh, is where you're ruled by God, but through human agencies, the number of countries today say there are theocracies. A dictatorship is ruled by an individual. He can be malevolent or benevolent. By the way, my preferred form of government is dictatorship ruled by Jesus Christ. Um, that's where we're headed. That's the one I want. Um, all the other ones are going to fall short. Um, one that I've added to the list recently is an oligarchy ruled by a small group of individuals. And believe it or not, I think that's uh, becoming more of, an, more of an option in our country. Uh, communism, you're ruled by the state. Democracy, you're ruled by the majority. A republic, you're ruled by elect, elected uh, representatives. Um, maybe more to the uh, reality of what we're, we're grappling with, I can give you an example of how this would work. Uh, two more types of government. Socialism. Let me think of it this way. You have two cows. The government takes them and puts them in a barn with everyone else's cows where they are cared for by ex-chicken farmers. You have to take care of the chickens the government took from the chicken farmers. The government gives you as much milk and eggs as the regulations say you need. That's socialism. A bureaucracy. See if this sounds familiar. You have two cows. At first, the government regulates what you can feed them and when you can milk them. Then it pays you not to milk them. Then it takes both, shoots one, milks the other, and pours the milk down the drain. Then it requires you to fill out forms accounting for the missing cows. Uh, folks, our options are not good these days. And so what do we do with that? <laughs> there are a lot of options, and a lot of options around the world. We have very good friends who live in places around the world um, represented by other forms of government, and the passage we're looking at today applies to them as much as it does to us. And so we're going to look at this passage. But before we do, I, I, I want to share this. When I read this, I was, I was stunned and, and really overwhelmed with the reality of it. Doug Moose says this, Few passages of Scripture have been studied and analyzed over the years more than Romans 13, 1-7. Listen to this. The history of interpretation has largely been the history of attempts to avoid what the passage at first, at first sight plainly seems to be saying. And here's what the passage says. Submit to the government. No matter who it is, submit to the government. I want to remind you, um, at the time that this was written, Nero was the emperor. Um, he was moving uh, toward um, lunacy in his reign. He finally lost his mind, committed suicide. Um, but he was uh, moving towards um, some of the most horrible things that have ever happened, particularly against the Christian church. 
And this passage is still written with God knowing that's just four or five years away. This passage is still written to this community. Keep that in mind. Let me just read through the passage uh, and then we're going to take it apart. Every person is to be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. For it is a servant of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a servant of God, an avenger who brings wrath on those who practice evil. Again, summarizing, therefore it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Pay to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, respect to whom respect, honor to whom honor. Now, I'm actually going to spend some time saying, are there some exceptions to this? Um, but reading it on its surface uh, leads uh, John MacArthur, one contemporary pastor, to say this. This applies to every position of civil authority without regard to competency, morality, reasonableness, or other caveat. And I want to highlight, during the pandemic, this pastor refused to shut down their services and require masks, even though California was saying to do it. How do you put that together, that, the, that this person, <laughs> a responsible handler of Scripture, is saying this passage replies to every position, and yet he didn't? To do that, I want to give you some background from Daniel... Uh, that I preached through in 2016, and from Acts that I preached through in 2018 and 2019. We're going to go back and set some, some groundwork. Two examples from each one of those, and then two other passages that have to be brought, into, to, brought, brought to bear on this topic. Um, the slide backgrounds are going to change to reflect preaching through it back then. 2016 is when this um, was uh, preached. Here's the chart on Daniel. The one thing I want to highlight on the chart is that Daniel um, was probably taken captive when he was about 15 years old. His experience in the lion's den at the very end of his life was when he was about 83 years old. He was faithful to God during his entire life, and during his entire life, he saw the regime change from the Babylonians to the Medes to the Persians, with ups and downs, some very, very wicked rulers, some not uh, nearly as wicked, but pagan rulers. And he was faithful through that entire process and was a part of the system. Okay, so keep in mind, Daniel was a part of the system in captivity for his entire life from 15 to 83. At the very beginning of the story, when Daniel is taken into captivity, we read a shocking verse in Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar and to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. This seems crazy that the Lord is the one who's allowing this pagan king to take 
the, the, the children of Israel captive. By the way, this is one of the arguments for the inspiration of Scripture because no other religion in its religious documents shows that their God actually opposes them. Their God is always on their, on their side. You can trust Scripture because it's really honest that when people rebel, God is going to oppose them. But do you see, God is controlling the situation so that a pagan king takes captive the people of God. And one of them is not just one of the ones who's rebellious. It's Daniel and also with him, um, his three friends, who we mostly know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are faithful to God, but they're taken captive and away from their homeland. And God's behind it all. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the house of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, Later on in the book, um, there's an extended section that deals with Nebuchadnezzar. And in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar goes crazy for about seven years. By the way, there's archaeological evidence to prove that that historically actually took place. When he comes back to his senses and he repents... Um, the entirety of Daniel chapter 4 is written by Nebuchadnezzar, the only passage in Scripture written by a pagan king. The whole, the whole chapter is written by Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the passage, he makes a decision, and here's what he says. The decision is announced by messengers. The Holy One declares the verdict, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, in inspired scripture, makes the, direct, the, the, um, uh, the, the clear statement that God is sovereign over all the kingdoms, and he gives them to the people who are in charge, whatever they are. But By the way, we're talking, in this sense, we're, we're talking about ancient kingdoms, but this is true today as well. A couple of lessons. God's in charge. And sometimes the powers shift in ways that are surprising to us, but wherever there's a ruler, God has placed them in that position of rulership. Now we're going to go to the book of Acts. We're going to see two examples from the book of Acts. Just to give you a little background on Acts, um, there's a lot of levels of, of things going on here that are really pretty similar to things going on for us. There's the Roman government, the Caesars, the governors, the proconsuls. There's the Herodian rule, more the local kings who were in charge. Then there are a lot of people who were kind of campaigning, a lot of parties. There's the Essenes, who were separatists living out in the desert. There are the Zealots, who are the radicals uh, willing to kill for Israel. There's the Pharisees, the conservative legalist preachers. By the way, if you lived in the first century, you'd be a Pharisee. So just, you would. I'm telling you, you would. The Sadducees were the liberal aristocrats. They basically, the Sadducees, were willing to compromise to maintain their position of influence. Then there are the scribes, who are the scholars of the law, serving as the judges making legal decisions. And then the Sanhedrin, which was a local court that made decisions religiously. So the setting seems somewhat similar. There's a lot of levels and a lot of people who are vying for control. In Acts chapter 4... Peter and John are going to be told to do something that's opposed to what God has told them to do. God has told them to be witnesses around the entire world. Um, And this is what happens. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him. You be the judge. As for us, we cannot help speaking about 
what we have seen and heard. We understand what you've told us to do, but you be the judge. And he basically is trying to say, listen, you know we have to listen to God, because he's talking to a member of the religious council. Well, they don't listen to them. They continue to preach. And here's how the story unfolds. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We give you strict orders. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But what they did do is they put them in prison. Um, and they willingly went to prison... <laughs> sang God's praises there, and were miraculously released. But they willingly took the consequences for disobeying the government. Peter and John, faced with the decision, do, do we do what God has clearly told us to do or what the government has um, forbid us to do? And they decide they'll do what God says rather than the government. Now, by the way, this has to do with the gospel. This doesn't have to do with um, <laughs> your taxes being increased. This is the gospel. Paul provides us another interesting example later in the book in chapter 25. Uh, Paul's been charged with insurrection, and uh, they're wanting to punish him. And Paul says this, If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his council, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. Now, let me make a point here, as Daryl Bach does. The Caesar here is Nero, the same guy we're talking about, whose early reign, advised by Seneca and Aphrianus Burrus, um, enjoyed a relatively tranquil period before, however, attaining a different kind of infamous notoriety for evil. Um, and, and Paul is appealing to him. Here's the principle, I think, that comes out of that. Use your strategic options in order to advance the gospel. So I want to say a couple things so far. Um, obey the government. If it tells you to do something God, um, it to tells you you can't do something God tells you you should do, obey God rather than man. Now, when you have the option strategically use every option you have. Now, I want to tell you, my friends in the Czech Republic, my friends in Nicaragua, um, my friends in Ukraine, they have different options than we have. We have a lot more options, and we need to utilize all of the options that we can. But we still need to obey the government. And this is not just um, a few examples. Let me give you another example from Peter, who is also writing under the reign of Nero, and Nero has really lost his mind by this time. When Peter's writing, he says this, Submit yourself to the Lord's sake, to, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to command those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do, don't, do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. 
Live as God's slaves, show proper restraint to, to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Um, he had lost his mind at this point, and he's still saying this. Now, you still use your options to, to change things. Very near the end of Paul's life, he's writing to Timothy. In fact, he's writing to Timothy probably two weeks before he dies. And Paul says this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intersections, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. If you're wondering how to pray for our government, this is how you pray. Pray that, that they will make decisions that allow us to live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. That's how you pray for the, the government. Um, and so I don't care whether you think our former president or our current president is God's gift or Satan's agent. I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter where you land on that because all of these passages are being written while Nero is the emperor. And we should be praying for them. We should obey our government, but we should use every strategic option we have to help us live in freedom and advance the gospel. So if I put it together, just the biblical picture so far... Um, that I've highlighted, I want to say it looks a little bit like this. Honor the government. Honor the actual people in leadership. Respect their office. I'm not telling you you have to agree with them, but respect their office. Pray for your leaders. Pay your taxes. Obey the government even when it permits evil. Disobey the government when it commands evil. Let me take that one apart just a little bit, because those last two statements, I think, need to be understood well. Here's how I would put that together in a sentence. When the government permits evil, our current government permits abortion. When the government permits evil, obey the government, don't participate in the evil, and stay engaged in lawful and respectful ways to try and bring about change. If our government permits evil things that are contrary to what God's word clearly says. Um, Still obey the government, but don't participate in the evil. And stay engaged. Don't don't back out. It's it's fascinating. Jesus does not engage with the Essenes, those who had kind of escaped from society. Stay engaged in lawful and respectful ways to try and bring about change. Now, there's another principle here. When the government commands evil, disobey the government. Obey God rather than man and willingly accept the consequences for your disobedience as you try to bring about change with dignity. The clearest example of this in the Bible is in the book of Exodus where the midwives were commanded by the Pharaoh to kill the children. That's evil. And they disobeyed the command. If the government allows evil, don't participate in it, but obey all the rest of the government. But if the the government commands evil, don't do it. Disobey the command to do evil, which in Exodus was killing children. In the book of Acts, it was not preaching the gospel. So when the government allows evil, stay engaged. When the government commands evil, disobey Accept the consequences willingly, 
because sometimes the consequences um, accepted willingly by godly people will eventually bring about a change when godly people um, accept the consequences in an honoring way. Um, related to some resources, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've recommended that people read The Fate of Empires by John Glubb, but I'm going to recommend you read it again. Um, it's a long essay. Uh, the first three quarters of it is historical as he talks about this cycle of empires, and he cycles through all of the empires that have started from ancient empires right on up uh, to the British Empire. And he basically gives you the history of that for three quarters of the paper. And then the last third of the paper, last fourth of the paper, he talks about the principles that come out of that, um, that empires last usually for about 200 years, 300 at the longest, um, but he, he goes through the cycles at the end, and it's, it's shockingly, frighteningly familiar as you look at the cycle of empires and where we are. We're hanging on by a thread as an American government. Um, read it. I recommend it all the time. It's long. People get bored. Please read it. Um, it will give you some great perspective. Some other resources that I have made available out there. Um, one of them is really practical about how fear gets in the way of us loving. Uh, there's another one that's really good on Paul and Rome and how Paul related to Rome and how that applies to us. And then there are two by Frank Thielman. One um, is an application of what I'm doing here. It's kind of uh, what I'm trying to do as best as I can this morning, he does really good in two pages. And then a historical example of someone who uh, lived under Nazi regime. And there's two men who get talked about all the time uh, uh, under Nazi regime, Ernest Kazema and um, Bonhoeffer. Those are, are guys who, who've experienced, I think, some things that we are going to experience. This is all background so far, okay? Lots of resources, lots of things to think about, lots of big biblical principles that, that tell us God's in charge of all of this, obey the government, honor the government, respect the government, do everything you can to be an influence for good, and if they command evil, then you disobey. And you accept the consequences willingly and do it with dignity, still trying to make an impact. So let's jump back into Romans. This Romans 12, 13 kind of flows together. It's, it's all about a serious relationship, our, our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with one another, our relationship with our enemies that we saw last week, and now the relationship with the, gov with the government. You see how it, it, it's getting bigger in concentric circles, and what you basically see is, is we should consecrate ourselves to God, live with humility as we think about ourselves, love one another, serve our enemies, and now we're going to see live in submission to the government. So this is how he's developing this argument. It all makes sense as he's writing and preparing, but also showing the implications of the, the gospel that saves us should have some implications in how we live our daily lives in very practical ways, even how we relate to government. So let's look at what he says here, and, and he He's, he's talking about God and government and God's people and government and how we relate. It's, it's actually a fairly simple thing that's going on here. There's a principle 
And what he's going to do is he's going to give you the principle, he's going to support the principle, then he's going to apply the principle, okay? And the principle is this, willingly submit to the authority of the government where you live. Um, and again, I, I travel enough and I have connections that are pretty frequent with friends in other countries. This looks different in different places. Um, but wherever you live, willingly submit to the authority of the government. Here's how he says it. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. Okay, it's pretty simple. <laughs> God has established the authorities, even Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament, um, even Nero in the New Testament. Um, submit to those authorities. And you can't explain this away. Um, Tom Schreiner deals with that argument. He says, I'm not persuaded that one can account for this passage by appealing to Paul's good relationship with the th civil authorities or of the more peaceful part of Nero's reign. What he's saying is, I, I don't think you can explain this away by going, Paul appealed to Rome and he got a free trip, so he likes the Romans. Um, Paul was keenly aware that the ruling authority had put Jesus to death, and as a student of the Old Testament Jewish tradition, he was well-schooled in the evil that government had inflicted on the people of God. Paul's got a bigger picture. Just because he gets a free trip to Rome by appealing to Caesar doesn't mean he's, he's ignorant of everything else. He gets the bigger picture, and he still says, submit to the governing authorities. So part of what I want to tell you is a weird statement, but government is godly even when it's not. Okay, Government is godly because it's of God. Even when it's not godly, it's of God. And we have to figure out how we're going to relate to that. John Stott uh, says something really helpful when he says this. In this distinction between the role of the state and that of the individual, we may perhaps say that individuals are to live according to love rather than justice. Don't try to get even. Love people. Whereas the state operates according to justice rather than love because it's trying to maintain peace and have rules. This is by no means a wholly satisfactory formula. However, since it sets love and justice over against one another, as if they're opposite and alternatives, whereas they don't exclude each other. I, it, they don't exclude each other, but I do think for us, our primary objective is to figure out how do we love people around us? And, and we shouldn't expect that necessarily from the government. The government's not trying to figure out how to, how to love. The government should be ex, ex, uh, expected to try to figure out how to have justice so that there's peace that gives us the freedom to love. And we can point our fingers, but we need to make sure we're doing what we're called to do. Um, by the way, if you're wondering what this word submit to, um, upatasso is the word. Upa means under. Tasso means stand. It means to stand under the authority given. The basic meaning of this word is to arrange under or to subordinate. In a, it's a command, in a command, it means to subject oneself or obey. The idea is that you submit to someone's control or yield to the direction or advice of another. In Greek, it's a military term, meaning to arrange a troop or a division of troops in a military fashion under the command of a leader. In non-military use, it was a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. So this word submit, obey, it means submit, obey, okay? Um, that's what it means. Historically, 
verbally, exegetically, lexically, I can't get out of this. Um, and, and he's going to go on to support this principle. He's going to say, God has established government to accomplish his purpose and keep the peace. God uses governments and nations in the Old Testament to judge his own people. That's why, he, that's why God gave the king of Judah over to the Babylonian king, because God is orchestrating this to accomplish his own purposes. God does this to accomplish his purpose. The other purpose God has is to advance his purpose, but also to keep the peace, to, uh, there to be order, which is exactly what we're supposed to be praying, praying that the government will make decisions that allow us to live peaceful and godly lives where we can advance the gospel. Pray for that. Work for that. Do everything you can for that. God has established all the governing authorities. Here's what it says. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And, and again, I, I don't care where you, where you land, whoever ends up in the office, whether it's nationally um, or locally, God has established those authorities. And rebelling against those authorities is rebelling against God. It's clear. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against God, what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. God will hold you responsible for how well you relate to the governing authorities. Again, do you see why Doug Moo says the passage is really clear and we just spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to get out of it? Um, the passage is really clear. Submit to the government. You don't have anything to worry about. <laughs> That's my summary of this verse. For rulers hold no terror for those who do what is right, but for those who do what is wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear uh, of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you'll be commended. Do what's right. I mean, there is an exception unless they're telling you to do something that you know isn't right because God told you. And in that sense, fear God rather than man. And the government is used by God to keep the peace. That's their role. And again, that's why I think in our involvement in the government, we need to be voting for, praying for, working for those people who we believe will be used to keep the peace and allow there to be um, a society in which we can live. This is First Timothy's call to prayer, where we can live peaceful and godly lives in Christ Jesus. He says this, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. That is, they can punish you, and, and, and that's why they have this ability to punish. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Now, you're going to see, and I could elaborate on it even more, God will hold those rulers accountable for what they're doing as well. That's not your job. Our job is to obey God first, and then the governing authorities, and even if they're allowing evil, you still obey them until they start to command evil. If you submit to the government, you avoid the consequences of uh, your rebellion, and you can have a clear conscience. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Um, avoid the punishment. Yeah, you, you don't want to be punished. But also, God has told you to do it, so you won't be um, plagued by this consciousness before God. So, I mean, it's very clear. 
Obey the government. Pray for them. Um, Respect them. God is using them to accomplish his purpose. Sometimes that is to create a situation where the gospel can flourish. But that might be create a situation where the gospel can flourish in a free country where the gospel is preached and revival sweep the land. But it might be God is creating a place where the gospel can flourish, like in China, where there's unbelievable oppression and lack of religious freedom, and the gospel flourishes in the underground church in ways that no one could have predicted. Because God is sovereign. He understands how to do all of these things. So there's a very practical application here at the end, and it's this, pay your taxes, okay? And I doubt that that's a big issue for anybody. And if it is, pay your taxes, okay? If anybody's, you know, do everything you can within the law, use your strategic advances uh, or your strategic opportunities to pay as little tax as you can so that you can give more offerings to the church. Um, just, but pay your taxes, okay? This is scripture. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. That's what they're doing. And whether they do it well or not, God's using them to accomplish something because God is sovereign over this whole big thing. So pay your taxes. Jesus said this as well, but he said it in a fascinating way. And I've talked about this back in 2016 when I was preaching through Luke it's worth saying again. Here's the situation. So some spies questioned Jesus. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus saw through their duplicity and said to them, show me a Daenerys. Whose image and inscription are on it? Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's? He said, basically, give to Caesar what bears Caesar's image and give to God what bears his image. And what bears the image of God? You. So give Caesar the money, give yourself to God. That's what he's saying there. This isn't um, give to Caesar and pay your, pay your taxes and pay your tithe. That is not what he's saying. He's saying pay your taxes and give your entire self to God. Your money, your time, your talents, your energies, your passions, your priorities, give that to God. And then he's going to make this a little broader. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Not because they earn it, but because they deserve it because of the position they're in. Respect their position. You can disagree with it, but respect it. I love Chuck Swindoll's summary here. We must cooperate with demands of government while peacefully trying to infiltrate it with the good news. Put simply, we must learn how to become godly rebels. That's it, folks. We live in corrupt times. I think we're moving more closely to an oligarchy than anything else. And we're going to have to figure out how to be godly rebels and live for God, obey God, while still obeying the government until they're not just permitting evil, they are commanding evil, and then we disobey. Until then, use every strategic option you have to try to be an influence for good. 
I love godly rebels, but to be a little more clear, Tom Schreiner says, typically believers should obey the government and pay their taxes, even if the regime is evil. Governments restrain anarchy and preserve order in society. Deciphering whether there are exceptions must be clear from all of Scripture, and of course exceptions exist. Believers should not submit if authorities counsel believers not to preach the gospel or do what is evil. Obey the government. Use your strategic options to preserve freedom. Pray that the government would make decisions, 1 Timothy, that would allow us to live godly lives in Christ Jesus. And when it comes time, I'll be leading the charge to say, we're not going to do that. And I may suffer consequences, but I will willingly suffer consequences to obey God rather than man. Until then, I will pay my taxes while taking every advantage I can, and I will vote and participate and be engaged and aware and pray for my leaders. And that's what all of us need to do, so that all of us are a community of consecrated to God, humble, loving, serving, godly rebels in the midst of the world in which we live. Submit to the government where you live. Live according to the just laws of society and pay your taxes. It's pretty clear.